At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Two guests this week. Uh, first off, one of my favorites, Renee Paquette, who uh, many people in the world know as Renee Young. That was her stage name for her eight years uh, while working for the WWE. She is the host of Oral Sessions with Renee Young, which is a, uh, a new podcast that she's put out where she interviews different people. Um, so far, it's been a lot of wrestling-heavy stuff. CM Punk, her husband, John Moxley, have been guests. But check that out. Renee's uh, a very fun interviewer she also has a uh, a cookbook coming up soon uh messy in the kitchen my guide to eating deliciously hosting fabulously and drinking copiously that's out in may of 2021 and renee and i basically just do a little bit of a catch-up session here um where we talk about how things are going with her pregnancy um how that announcement became public the death of Brody lee which is just awful news in, in aew world and then we get into a lot of fun stuff in wrestling so if you like renee's work and if you like wrestling. I think you'll enjoy that conversation. She is followed by Shalice Manza Young, who's a columnist for Yahoo Sports and the um, and a former Boston Globe sports writer. She had a really, really good piece on uh, Aqib Tlaib and uh, his work on television that just struck me. So we discuss Aqib Tlaib and, um, and Shalice's piece and how um, Shalice wrote that, that he, Tlaib is representing black Americans in the Fox broadcast booth and what that means. So real interesting piece there. So Renee Paquette first and Shalice Manza Young second, both coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Renee Paquette, almost a regular on this podcast, uh, is returning. I know. I know, Renee. Renee, let me get the intro out first before you jump. I mean, it's all about airtime I'm for sorry. You. I am the worst guest. I do this everywhere I go. I'm so sorry. Go for Come it. Come on, Renee. <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're a professional who's worked at the highest <laughs> levels of broadcasting. All right. Renee Paquette, is, for nearly eight years, she was a WWE broadcaster under the name Renee Young. Today, you can find her as the host of Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette. I mean, talk about just totally exploiting CEO, uh, SEO, I should say, and search optimization there, which is an uncensored and unscripted weekly in-depth conversation with a personality. Uh, check out who she's had on so far, CM Punk, her husband, John Moxley, uh, and Maurice from the WWE and a couple others. She also has an upcoming cookbook coming out, Messy in the Kitchen, My Guide to Eating Deliciously, Hosting Fabulously, and Drinking Copiously. Renee, is that coming out in 2021 or is, that, or is there another date on that? It is. It's coming out May 18th, 2021, oh. baby. You have a date on that. That's exciting. I do. Yes. All right. That'll be that'll be good. What is the, I mean, is, what is what are the uh is there one like kind of cuisine that is featured a lot in that 
in that book? Um, I mean, it's it's sort of a mixture of like comfort food that I try to add a little bit of elevatedness to it. Like, I like to think that I'm a great home chef where, like, I just love to spend time in the kitchen. Um, I love tackling a new recipe. That's really what gets me pumped up in the kitchen. So I wanted to give people some recipes that are ones that I kind of come back to, some that I had sort of figured out just for the book. It's really just about spending time in the kitchen and a way to unwind and a way to just sort of connect uh, with, with the culinary side. And hosting, and all the hosting that comes with that, and all the drinking that, of course, comes with that as well. Well, yeah. Well, you have that part of your title. I do. Renee, this podcast is four minutes in, and you haven't you haven't buried anybody yet in wrestling. I feel like I've already failed, <laughs> but I'm going to continue to go on. No, that's not my style, Richard. Um, I know, I know. All right, so Renee, Renee, by the way, is pregnant. Congratulations. Thank uh, you. Awesome, awesome news that uh, uh, we first learned on AEW and have since learned on your social media channels how is um like how's the pregnancy going how are you feeling um it is obviously um a stressful time just to be living during the middle of a pandemic and i can only imagine uh being pregnant and sort of navigating everything mentally uh that's going on outside uh not to mention just being pregnant is uh it's an amazing thing but you know it's also a stressful thing too so i've been really lucky and I am trying, I'm like a little careful with how loudly I'm saying this because I hope that it doesn't rear its ugly head, but I've had such an easy pregnancy. Um, I've no, I know I've talked to so many of my other girlfriends and I've been lucky that so many of other girlfriends are pregnant or have just had babies and they've had a tough time with pregnancy or they were sick the whole time or they were miserable where I'm just like, man, I think me and pregnancy kind of go hand in hand. We're working out really well. I was sick for a little bit in the, the first bit of the early trimester. And, um, yeah, now I just, like, I feel great. I feel great. I'm getting huge. So that's kind of funny to just watch my body change the way that I just keep looking at it. I'm like, what the hell? I literally just walked downstairs and saw John. I'm like, what kind of a giant baby did you put in me? Because this kid seems to be growing like crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you look at the, the COVID world, and obviously it's scary and everything that's going on in the world is a little bit terrifying right now. Luckily, the vaccine is out, and hopefully that will start to make some, some changes in the world. Um, but it's actually kind of a convenient time to be pregnant because I don't have to be anywhere. I get to just be home. If I need to stop and take a nap, I get to do that. I'm essentially working from home right now, so that's been making my life easy. If anything, it's just sort of like that stir-craziness that we all have. Like, I wish I could just go out to dinner. I wish I could just, like, easily go out and just, like, shop around and do those sort of fun things that we all miss doing. That's sort of the, the main thing that I miss the most right now. Um, but I will say I'm very lucky, and I just found out that I still have my COVID antibodies. So I'm pretty happy about that. I just found out the other oh, day. Wow. Yeah, I just went and got tested just out of yeah. curiosity. Because when you're pregnant, you've got to be extra careful because you're so much more, um, your immune system just goes to hell when you're pregnant. So my doctor's like, be careful, you've got to be careful with COVID. So I went to check my antibodies and I still have them like seven months later. So that's a good sign, I guess. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't wish COVID on anybody. Obviously, you have, uh, I should let the listeners know, Renee had COVID, uh, knock on wood, thankfully, uh, got past it. So obviously, it's not something you'd wish on anyone. No. But if there is a positive Renee in your situation, the fact that you have antibodies, I mean, you know, I, yeah. I'm obviously not a doctor, but that would strike me as pretty good for your pregnancy, right? I think. It seems like it. It be. at least makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, again, I don't know... 
exactly that means. I'm not a doctor either. If I'm still susceptible to getting it or right. if my body's just going to be able to fight things off better. Um, but, you know, I think I'm in a better position to have the antibodies rather than not. So, I mean, yeah, I don't wish COVID on anybody, but I will say I'm happy to have already had it prior to getting pregnant. That's for sure. Did you weigh uh, being public with your pregnancy, uh, given that— I thought you were just going to ask me if I weighed myself and if I could tell you what it was. Renee, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you should hang up on me if I did that. Uh, I literally did just you think broke that? into a sweat. I was like, wow. no! Renee. <laughs> I, 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 I should I, I should be excommunicated from the podcast game if I did that. No, what I was gonna say is, did you weigh did you weigh being public uh, with um, your with your pregnancy, given that you and John are public people, and particularly uh, John right now? Uh, like you know, but at the same time, you know, people who are going to see you if they happen to see you at all um, are going to know most likely that you're carrying. So did you, I don't know, it, did you guys sort of weigh this? Or I know it seemed like John just sort of blurted it out with no plan, which was kind of funny to me, but I'm wondering <laughs> if you talked about it beforehand. Yeah. So we had kind of been talking about it. And like what you just said, it's like we are both public figures. So if I was just going to like hide away and not let anybody see me, that's one thing. But I'm pretty active on social media. I didn't want to like totally disappear. Like I saw that Mindy Calling, she had a full baby during pandemic and nobody knew it. Like yeah. she just totally went away. Nobody had a clue. So like there's definitely some bonuses to that, but like, I like being on social media. I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty social on there. I mean, I'm still like at the gym taking photos and doing things like that. So like the cat's going to be out of the bag at some point. So I'd rather be in control of that conversation than not. You know, we kind of went down that path when we got married and John was very much like, I don't want, we don't have to tell anyone. This is just for us. It's private. And then, of course, it leaked out. Like, some fans literally went on, like, public records and found oh, our, our marriage certificate and posted online. Like, just, like, weird shit. That you're like, come on. So, it's like, you know, I think with something like this, we, it was like a learning lesson. Like, I'd rather us just be ahead of it. We can find a way to tell people. And I think it's kind of one of those things, too, when you get pregnant. And you're like, oh, you get to, like, announce it to everybody. How do we want to do that? And, like, I just wanted to find a, a simple, cool way to do it. I didn't want to make, like, a huge deal or whatever. So it was actually perfect the way John did it because we had not quite decided what we were going to do. And as it was getting closer to the end of my first trimester, I'm like, well, we're getting there. I mean, people are going to know really soon. And then John was about to go um, to he was like in Jacksonville already and called me. He's like, I think I'm just going to say it tonight. I was like, shit. All right. If you want to do it, great. <laughs> Takes the pressure off me. And the way that he just blurted it out, like it wasn't a promo about, you know, me being pregnant or him becoming a father. It was just sort of a throwaway line during this promo that of course everybody was like, excuse me, pump the brakes. My phone like instantly blew up of, so many of my friends that it, like weren't privy to the information yet. You know, some people that kind of thought maybe something was up. Um, but yeah, we, we had kind of gone back and forth on just how exactly to announce it. And then uh, John took the wheel and he just threw it out there on national television, which is like for sure not the way I would expect to announce a pregnancy, especially from him. He is like <laughs> king privacy. So the fact that he threw it out there was like, oh, shit. All right. Well, I didn't have to do it. Great. The, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> you have not. Uh, you guys have intentionally decided not. You don't know the sex of the baby, correct? Do the gender? We do. Oh, you do. do? Yeah, we're having a little girl. So oh. I posted a photo of just like a pink cake. Again, just like sort of subtle, but people understood the reference. But um, yeah, we did. 
Wow. Uh, I did actually a cake for John's birthday, December 7th, and um, did a little gender reveal cake. Oh, that's so awesome. I will say that we did kind of cheat, though, because we had to Zoom with our family. And I had the envelope from the doctors I had to bring over to the bakery, and they had, like, signed, sealed, delivered, the whole thing. And uh, it was sitting in the glove compartment of my car. And I came home and told John it was in there. He's like, we have to look at it. He couldn't wait for the cake. So we cut open the cake for our family members, but we cheated and looked at the card. <laughs> I love that. But All right, so will the baby be named Becky yeah. Charlotte or Brie? What is What will the baby be named right now? <laughs> the name we are keeping a lid on. Yeah, the, the name we're kind of, we have it hammered down. We actually, it, it was one that we just kept both coming back to. Um, it has a bit, it has a family tie, um, for me. Um, and yeah, it was just the one that we kept coming back to. I had so many lists of girl names. Yeah. I was glad that it was a girl because we didn't have a ton of boy names lined up. So yeah, I kind of hammered it down and we're like, that's it. That's what the name's going to be. And we told some of our family members so they know. And yeah, just trying to keep something a secret. I'm yeah, such keep a blabber mouth sometimes. Yeah, keep that too. We did. I, when I had my <laughs> twins, like we didn't let any family know until, uh, until after the fact. So I like that. Well, it's such a tricky thing. You'd yeah. like, we would like, we were having conversations with certain family members about certain names that we were thinking about. And it's like, oh my God, what a slippery slope. There's times that you're like, you can't tell people because either like they give like a facial reaction or you get into like debates about the spelling. It's like, oh my God, this is an A and B conversation. A C, your way out. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The All right, let's talk, before we get into a couple other things, I want to ask you about the process of starting a podcast as an independent. Uh, you, you're doing this, at least as the last time I talked to you, you're doing this on your own. You're doing this independently. Um, you've started it. Uh, I don't know if you hired a producer or you're, you're actually doing the engineering yourself, but this is on, this is like, to me, whether you have a name, um, in sort of popular culture or not to do it on your own is just in a very, very challenging thing to do. I have never done it. I have, obviously I work for Cadence 13, I have a ton of help, including the two producers working this podcast right now, Sean Cherry and Patrick Antonetti. So how are you doing it? Like, how 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 has that process been for you? Because it's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, I think blindly kind of walking into that, I was just like, well, I want to do it. And I want to do something. And I don't want to sit around and wait for the right thing to come around. I don't want to, like, shop around. I just wanted to do something that was entirely mine. I didn't want to answer to anybody. I didn't want to have to filter things through anybody. Um, like the name of the show, for example. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there was just, I just really wanted to be in full control of the whole thing. So I started working with a friend of mine, Emilio Sparks. He is a fantastic producer. He had actually worked at WWE for a little while when they were starting, um, all of their own WWE podcasts. So he is very familiar with uh, with the audio space and with the podcast space. So he was somebody that I trusted immensely for us to work together because we wanted to work together at WWE, and then we both parted ways with them. 
Uh, so it just made perfect sense for us to start working together. And he's been great just with helping me, you know, even just on like the socials of everything, but it is hard. Like you said, it's like, I'm, I'm as much as I say, I'm on social media all the time. I'm like posting pictures of my dog. Like I'm not a great self promoter. Um, so, you know, you're trying to put out these interviews and trying to put out this cookbook and trying to let people know about everything without ramming it down their throats. So it's sort of that delicate balance of like putting it out there, hoping that people enjoy it. Um, you know, I've been really lucky in the sense that um, I have access to great guests, um, especially when we're talking about the wrestling world. I have enough friends within that world to, to keep it in there, you know, being able to get my husband on whenever he's downstairs so I can always just turn on the mic and make him sit down with me for a little bit, part of that wife-husband relationship. Um, being able to get CM Punk to jump on there. Um, some other ones that I've got lined up coming up. We're taking a bit of a breather for this week. I'm um, just, you know, in the the wake of the news of, of Brody Lee's passing, just kind of wanted to give everyone a, a little bit of downtime before I yep. got any other wrestlers or anyone from the wrestling world in the podcast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's an interesting thing to start figuring out. I mean, I've just been having fun dipping my toes back into that full interview world. As much as I'm known for being an interviewer, I was reading a script um, the whole time. So it's really cool to just have these conversations with people, these very candid conversations. You know, I can go in with a bit of a guideline of what I want to talk about and whatnot, but it's really fun to just kind of get back into that skill of listening and reacting and just being generally curious. Um, and when I was listening to certain podcasts, like I love Dak Shepard's show, Armchair Expert. I love the guests he has on there. I love the diversity of guests and just the, the he's very inquisitive from his interview standpoint. He's very smart. Um, and that's something that I want to, uh, to bring into my show. And I think like, I just sort of missing, I don't want to say just from like a female point of view, cause I, that's dumb. Um, but I just feel like there was sort of that void of a female kind of in that space doing the show that I wanted to listen to. So I wanted to kind of create that show myself and, you know, starting out, I will always keep that wrestling theme. I've branched into more of the combat sports from having somebody like Josh Barnett on. I just had Megan Olivia on from UFC. She's amazing. I just had Michelle Watterson on. Um, so I think kind of keeping it in that fight space for the time being to not freak any fans out and give them something they're not quite ready for. And then bring it to the end. I want to see a bunch of different people from different walks of lives, whether it's um, musicians and artists and uh, who knows. And I really want to take over that Lady Rogan spot. So maybe one day <laughs> I'll have on Elon Musk and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, well, good luck with that. That's cool. I mean, so far, what I've listened to sounds thanks, really good. Thanks. And, um, and, Thank and I think you. it's, it's going to do well. Um, you mentioned Brody Lee, uh, John Huber. I saw a piece on... Uh, Sports Illustrated's website, where your husband, John, um, John Moxley, said that in his WWE tryout, he wrestled Brody Lee. He wrestled John Huber. So, yeah. I mean, you knew him, but I, I get the sense that your husband was very close with him, and that this must have, I mean, this is just an awful, sort of an awful tragedy. He's yeah. got a young family. Everything I've read said that this guy was just like way beyond a good guy behind the scenes in the yeah in, in the back. And so I can only imagine everybody at AEW must just be feel a bit numb because this guy it wasn't this guy supposedly wasn't just another guy. He he really was like a gem of a human being. Absolutely. And you know, I think that's it's it's such a hard thing for 
us all to wrap our heads around. And I think numb. I know my husband had said that in his um, interview with Sports Illustrated. And that really has sort of been the feeling. It's like it, it almost like my like my brain can't really wrap around what's happened. Like, I just can't believe that it's real and that that's happened. It's, it's just so heartbreaking. I've been in contact with his wife, Amanda, kind of throughout the whole thing, just sort of checking up on her, seeing how she's doing. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just such a tragedy. And, uh, you know, Brody was just the best guy. Every story you read about him, um, just rings so true. He was just, he was such a gem of a person. He was that person that you're always excited to see. He's always in a good mood, always like down to clown, always ready to play like such a river in the back. Um, yeah, he's just such an amazing man and, uh, it's, it's a huge loss, um, for the wrestling community. Absolutely. And obviously for his family, it's, it's just so heartbreaking. And that's well said. Um, there's no easy segue to sort of move from that. I do want to ask you a couple of sort of professional, professional related questions. Um, now that you've been out a little bit, Renee, um, how are you feeling about not being on uh, a wrestling production at the moment, the last time I talked to you, you um, <laughs> made a little bit of news where you said like your, you know, your non-compete clause was pretty long. Like you literally could not work for another company <laughs> for a while. That's probably getting close to the end, I would think, at this point. But like, do you miss it after the birth of your child? Like, are you itching to go back? Like, where do you philosophically stand with your previous, uh, you know, your previous profession at the moment? Um, I, I think that, you know, I miss the people so much. Those people become friends and family. You spend so much time with them. That's the hardest part is being away from people. Um, you know, you stay in contact with people. Once you're kind of out of the fold, it's, you know, it's just not the same. So that's the thing I miss the most. Uh, but I think from the professional side of it, I miss doing TV. I miss being on TV, whether it's wrestling or not. Um, I miss I, I miss that whole atmosphere. I mean, yeah, there's definitely times that, like, you know, you miss the, the production side of things, seeing, seeing uh, you know, even just from, like, the production crew and whatnot. But just, like, that big event feel, you know, like, I think that's something that I miss. Like, having the pyro go off and getting ready for that, like, countdown for, like, when the doors have opened. Well, not that we're doing that right now, but, um, <laughs> right. you know, just as the show starts to get ready and that energy starts to, to come alive as everyone gets ready to perform. I do miss that, but I think, you know, I just miss, I miss doing TV right now. And as much as I'm staying occupied with doing my podcast and I've got my cookbook coming out and, you know, I'm creating a human, um, there are things that I miss. I actually always thought this was like a stupid side note, but I always figured that when I was pregnant that I'd get to be like gigantic on TV. And that was something I was like genuinely looking forward to. Um, so I'm a little bummed that I don't get to be like the size of a house on TV. <laughs> I always thought that, that would be really great. Um, but yeah, I just, I miss doing my job and I don't necessarily mean my job in WWE. I, I, there are aspects of that that I kind of miss, but there's the freedom of it that I've really been enjoying as I'm sort of figuring out what I really want my next step to be. And that was sort of part of the whole thing of me leaving as well. It was just like, what do I want to do? Right. Um, and I'm still figuring that out about what exactly I want to do, like what's going to fulfill me. I always come back to the like, damn, how do I get that Kelly Ripa gig? So I'm trying to figure out what these stepping stones are to kind of put me in, in line for something, you know, in that world. That's something that I would love to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think being able to start with a podcast and just being able to 
fill time for an hour and bullshit with somebody from any walk of life, I think that's like a great place to just sort of flex all of those muscles and whatnot. But yeah, I miss, I miss getting ready. I miss like being able to put on makeup and like a nice outfit. I just live in my sweats now. And if I put on makeup, it's like a miracle happened. <laughs> I know you and John like the warm weather, but uh, if you want that Kelly Ripa job, don't, 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 don't single out Canada at this point, Rena. They're, they're, you know, they're, 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 I'm telling you, I'm not. I assure you, I'm not. There could I mean, be, there could be that, that potential Dennis kind did, of job uh, up here. Had that on, I know Marilyn Dennis has had that on lockdown for some time. <laughs> um, so City TV, CTV, exactly. listening. Right. Um, yeah, I, I would for sure not rule that out. Actually. For a long time, me and uh, me and Christian, WWE's Christian, him and I would always joke that we should go uh, take over and be the Kelly and uh, and, uh, and Ryan. No, not Michael. Who's doing it? Ryan Seacrest. Ryan Seacrest. Yeah. yeah. Um, to, to yeah, to go be their version up in Canada. So yeah, we're ready. That would be awesome. I would love to go work back. I actually miss, I miss working in Canada too. There's there's things about that that I really miss. I actually got to have um, I got to meet up with um, Cabby. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Cabby something yeah. like that, and yeah. I had not seen him. Yeah, I had not seen him in years and years and years, and we were just like reminiscing over that time that we had at the score together, and just like the talent pool that came out of there, and just the fun we had. We got away with a lot of stuff on TV, and just got to have so much fun. It was such a great place to be. Um, so that will always be a very uh, fond memory for me in my career. Is, just getting to test all those waters and figure out who I was as a broadcaster. I'll always be very thankful of that. It's not yeah. like that working in the States as much. Yeah, there's no better joy. It's, everything's a little higher stakes. Everyone's so serious about everything all the yeah. time. It was fun that we just got to mess around. Far more career into it. There's no better joke that I have with that and Invert to say. Yeah. And then no matter what you do, like how does it feel to always be less successful professionally than, than Renee Young? Which is just, I just, I love busting him <laughs> on literally saying that. And he has, he has no comeback, which is beautiful. I, you know, him and I never even worked together. We were never there at the same time. And we, the only, I met Adnan when I was auditioning at ESPN one time. He was really great. And he came out to meet me. I think we like grabbed lunch or something on the ESPN campus. Uh, but he's such a cool dude. Actually, yeah, yeah. He's got that great podcast, The Cinephile. Yes. Very um, I love that he's such a movie junkie. It's he really is. cool. He will, he'll be happy that you gave him a, a promo there. He's a very good guy. Um, all right. A, a couple more <laughs> here. over. A couple more here, and then I'll let you go. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tire a woman who's in the middle of her pregnancy out. Um, do you think? Oh, no um, worries. If I just start breathing heavy, that's why. Oh, that'd be good actually for the no no offense for now. That'd be great for Donna. <laughs> <laughs> if you could do that, if you could cut a promo for me, I'd appreciate that. Um, will, yeah. <laughs> in your opinion, do you think we will see um, a woman anytime soon get the go back to the raw announcing desk? as you did when you um, when you basically made history when it comes to professional wrestling broadcasting. Yeah, I think that we will. I think absolutely we will. You know, as much as I was um, sort of like the test rabbit yeah. for that, and, yeah. um, you know, however we want to look at that, whether you say it was successful or it wasn't successful, it was something that happened, and we were all learning, and we were all figuring out. Like, I was figuring out what the hell I was doing. I was trying to figure out what my role was there. Um, Vince was learning what it was like having a female on commentary. Kevin Dunn was learning what it was like having a female on commentary. And the fans. I mean, obviously the best person for that gig is Beth Phoenix. I think she's fantastic. I think she's just so good at what she does. Um, she's just so smart. And her love and passion for wrestling is number one for her, you know, aside from her family and whatnot. But you can feel that when she's talking. And she's, you know, she's been very lucky in the sense of, 
working at NXT in that more nurturing environment and learning how to get better and taking that time, uh, you know, getting in the booth. And she's been able to work with a series of different announcers as well. So I think that's something that's really beneficial as well to, to, you know, whether she's working with Vic Joseph or Tom Phillips, um, working with Wade Barrett, who is now there. Yeah, she's she's just got so many different uh, characters that she can jump on there and figure out how to navigate those waters. So I think by the time it came for her to do Raw or SmackDown, I think she would be, I think she'd just fit in totally seamlessly. And I think the fans would love it. Um, I think people will be ready to hear that. And uh, yeah, I, I think she would absolutely crush it. Without, I, I don't want you to bury the WWE here, but but I, I want to just make a contrast. Um, given that you are married to a very high profile performer who's now working in AEW, who previously worked in the WWE. How have you found it? Um, it's almost, uh, how have you found it almost in an observer position? Um, how different is AEW for John as a working performer versus WWE? Because the one sort of thing that seems consistent out there, uh, which has been said by like people like in John's position, is that they just feel they have more creative freedom to sort of go where they would like with their character as opposed to the WWE, which has a reputation of being tightly or overly scripted. Um, And I guess just from your position as someone who is an observer of this and was an interviewer in this, like, is that one true? And two, how have you, how have you found it given how close you are to one of these performers? Yeah. I mean, I think what you just said is very true. I think it's that freedom and that's, you know, I think that's sort of the thing that happens with talent across the board with WWE. You start to feel very creatively stifled and there are some talent that benefit from that, from that overproducing, from being handed a script. There's some people that thrive with that and they're great with that. Some people aren't a great promo without a writer and that's 100% okay. But then there's other people, like my husband, for example, who's like, he if he ever has someone hand him a script again, I pray for that person. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he, he loves the freedom that he has. I mean, just from a character standpoint of being able to cut a promo to, uh, to the way his matches are put together. And I think another big difference that I've noticed as well as the accessibility of Tony Khan um, that, you know, they'll be on the phone for like hours sometimes talking about angles, talking about storylines they want to do, talking about character stuff. Um, and I think that's something that is really important to the performers there. And it's that, like, I don't think that that extends just to somebody like my husband within the company. I think that is from all, all over. Um, you know, even the time that I've been able to have backstage at, at um, AEW, um, and I can kind of really only base this off of the people that I knew prior to to our time all spent in WWE together, whether it was a producer or talent or whatever. And everyone just seems there's just like there's a lightness and a happiness and just like, yeah, it's, it's that creative outlet. People get into this line of work to be creative. And I think once that's taken away from you, that can become a very heartbreaking, tough thing to deal with. And I think that leads to a lot of people becoming sort of disgruntled and wanting to see what's what's happening on the other side and, and checking out other options and whatnot. Uh, I'm not saying it's always like that in WWE. It's certainly not. Um, there's some people that do have more creative freedoms than others do. Um, but yeah, I think that's the big thing with, with AEW is, is just the freedom. And I think people feel heard and they feel important. They don't just feel like a spoke in the wheel. 
that yeah, that just as an observer, those are things that I've noticed. And then Tony's just um, he 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 his love of the business just uh, it infiltrates throughout everybody's from production to talent, whatever's happening in the ring, storylines, all that. It's really cool to see. Yeah, no, he's his rep- Tony Khan's reputation as sort of being someone who really loves wrestling is uh, uh, is, is yeah. Is, is oh my so god, it's genuine. so funny to be able to see like. Photos of him from like at, at like ECW events, like while Jericho's wrestling as he's like a kid. Like he just he lives and breathes wrestling. It, it's funny because when I when I hear him and John on the phone together or see them in person talking, and like Tony's level of excitement is just like it's he's like a kid in an amusement park. Like he's just so happy about everything that he's able to do, and to be able to give these guys this outlet too. It's it's amazing. But just that fandom, <laughs> I mean, John's the same in a way that you know, they'll just start rattling off dates and different matches. And, like, they're like Wikipedia of wrestling. They remember everything. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. When you have a guy who, like, loves the business that much but yet has the money to fund the business, that's a that's a, that's a good that's a good place yeah. to be, you know? Um, all right. It certainly is. And I will say there's, there's definitely times as well that, I've, you know, I've heard him shut down ideas that he doesn't agree with. So it's not just like take my money and do whatever you want with it. It's definitely not that. I mean, there's there are there are uh, there are. I don't want to say there's rules. It's not rules, but it's just like there is still a creative process and making sure people are on the same page and whatnot. So yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, no clown gimmicks. I, I, I like AEW a lot. Please don't ruin it with that. Um, <laughs> uh, does, I have to ask this, Renee. Just this is my own question, just from my own personal uh, uh, enjoyment of your husband uh, and his work. Does he practice promos in your house? And does he practice promos in front of you? Uh, so he doesn't do them in front of me, but there are times that if we're in the gym together, he'll be like on the treadmill or like on the bike, like he'll be doing like some kind of cardio and I'll look over and he's like just going off to himself, like mouthing words to him. Like I can't hear him. Right. This is all internal dialogue, but he's like very much in character. Okay. I would catch him doing it a few times, like especially when we like first started dating and I was like, oh my God, am I like not supposed to see this? What's happening? What is he doing? <laughs> And now it's just like the norm. I see him doing it. I'm like, okay, whatever. Now see, if just... it, see if he's happy with what he came up with or whatever. But a lot of times when he's formals, it's, um, he'll think about what he wants to do. But generally, he's just kind of saying what comes to his mind at the time. That's cool. I like that. Um, all right. Final, yeah. final yeah. three here. These are, these are wrestling questions for you, okay? Like wrestling storyline. But because I have respect for you, I, I have cool. to ask somebody who's an insider or was an insider or is an insider. Uh, will Becky Lynch come back after the birth of her kid? Do you expect her to return? Hell yeah, of course she will. You think she's going to miss that opportunity to be like badass mom and come back and also win a, a women's championship? Of course she will. All right, I would love that. Definitely. Because uh, easily one yeah. of the best performers in the last uh, uh, five, five to ten years for sure. Same question for Ronda. Same question for Ronda. Ronda Rousey. Do you expect to see her one day back in a pro wrestling ring, whether that's uh, with the McMahon's or with AEW or somewhere else? Yeah, I don't think that she can stay away from wrestling. You know, I think she's been able to have this break, and it's really cool that she can pick and choose and, and call her shots. Um, but I think seeing the love that she developed, I mean, she's always been a wrestling fan, but seeing her develop 
really a love for what happens behind the scenes and, and inside the ring and performing, I don't think you could keep her away from a wrestling ring. And we've all seen the photos of her like, training with Roddy Piper's daughter and all the rumors kind of bubbling back up to the surface again. But I think she'll always kind of be within that WWE family. There's no way she's done. She's right. not hanging up the boots. Roman Reigns has been unbelievable as a heel. Yeah, You may call him Joe. Uh, I, I don't know what you call Roman because obviously you know him in in, in uh, off storyline, and obviously John was part of the Shield with Roman, but he has been unbelievable. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be hyperbole here. He's been he and Heyman have been phenomenal in this character. Do you yeah, do you magic? For, it's like lightning in a bottle. Do you foresee this continuing, or do you see Roman one day returning, making a face turn, and returning back to being a quote unquote good guy? Um, you know, I think that uh, I feel like it could kind of walk that very fine line where it's like he just becomes a baby face because we all love him so much and he's doing such a great job that it's sort of hard to to maintain that um he's been doing yeah i mean like you said it's like this head of the table stuff he's doing it's like it's so good to watch him and Heyman. it's funny because when he first came back with Heyman, i was like do i like this i don't know if I, what do i feel about this yeah and then more like john and i were talking about it it's like man it's just like these two minds coming together and this is like I feel like we've really unpeeled so many layers of Roman that we are just seeing him in his prime form. He is just being himself. I mean, aside from, yes, he is, of course, a charming, fun, sweet guy as well. But I think this other serious tone that he is bringing is what the fans have all wanted. And I think, you know, it's funny to look at his career and... Uh, I don't even want to call them ups and downs, but it's the way the fans reacted to feeling like he was being shoved down their throats and in their right. faces too much and blah, 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 whatever, that all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, now we've hit this really cool moment where the talent and the respect are meeting head to head. And I think it's really opened up so many people's eyes to who he is as a performer um, and what and who he is to be able to carry a company on his back. Um, so I think him as a heel is fantastic, but I, I, I think I think we could see him turning face at some point. Absolutely, I, I think we will. I think we will see him eventually go back yeah. to being a face, and not be surprised if somehow yeah. Seth, Seth Rollins is involved in that. But we'll see. All right, last one, Renee. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> last, yeah, yeah. You know, I love Rollins. He's a great performer. I mean, I know you, you guys are probably tight with Seth. Like, but he's a, he's a better heel. Yeah. Seth is a better heel. Honestly, I mean, just, I'm just being honest. As an objective person, like, he was so great as a heel, and that's kind of, I don't know if I love the yeah. Messiah, but, like, Rollins as a heel is great, and I do hope he returns to that. I think he's just sort of naturally, a naturally yeah. gifted heel performer. That would be my hope. Um, all right, finally. I agree. You did so much stuff as a trailblazer, as a broadcaster in the WWE. One thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, I can't follow all the storylines, but correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you ever had any kind of moment as a heel broadcaster, like Bobby Heenan or a, uh, you know, name any of your sort of favorite. Lawler, in some sense, is a bit of a heel broadcaster. And uh, Corey, Corey, your buddy, is a heel. Like, is JBL, that. JBL is a great JBL heel is a great, great heel yeah. broadcaster. Exactly. <laughs> Was there, is there any part of you, if you never end up going back to. Uh, broadcasting wrestling, which is very possible if you go on to doing other things. Like, is there any part of you that wishes at least you had one turn of just because I think that would have been so much fun for you to for you to have a little shot at be, like because that kind of turn nobody would have expected. Renee Young is like you know girl next door from Canada, <laughs> everybody loves her, and you know you but like that would have been so awesome to me if just one even on See, one raw you would have flipped. Have always- What's that? 
I think that's where people always kind of got me wrong, is I think everyone's like, oh, she's like squeaky clean, easy baby face for sure. But I think when it really boils down to it, I can be a bit of an asshole. I'm sure you can. That's why I wanted wanted this. (laughs) It's funny because me and Michael Cole would talk about it sometimes. He's like, you're such a natural heel. You would would totally be great as a heel. Uh, But the only, like, and you know, going back to what I was saying about Beth, she's been able to work with so many different broadcasters that she's been able to to navigate that a little bit differently where where I worked it was I was working only with Cole and only with Graves and Graves yep. is such a heel commentator. Exactly. Yep. So it was hard for me to combat that. I had to just sit there as the babyface broadcaster. But yeah, I think if I were ever to revisit that, I would love to step in to be a heel broadcaster. God, or just I... a heel character in any in any capacity. I think it would be a blast. It, seriously, how great would that have been if on Raw you were just burying whoever like the yeah. baby face of the company would have been? <laughs> like it literally would have been talked I about the next. You would it. you would have been trending on Twitter. It would have been talked about the next day. Uh, it would. It, I am so excited that we got to do that. There's so much shit that I want to talk, and I couldn't do it. I just have to I put know. everybody over all nice and squeaky clean. I always Let thought that. That was if I ever was in that writer's I've room. I've always been known for having, amongst, amongst my friends and family, I've been known for having a bit of a sharp tongue. I just never got to use it there. Oh, I know. Imagine actually WWE Broadcasting allowed you to curse and you just dropped the cursing promo on somebody. I mean, <laughs> literally, you'd have, you'd have viewers. For a while, I kept trying to pitch. You'd have viewers fainting. Yeah, I kept trying to pitch to Kevin Dunn at one point. I was like, can I, uh, can we be sponsored in the third hour by like some <laughs> kind of wine company or liquor? Like, Let's make the third hour of Raw when we're making it this edgy third hour. Let's love the broadcasters get a little loose and fun over here. I know. It's true. I could probably get away with it, but yeah. I never well, now, actually well, now, tried it. You can do this on your podcast now that you you own it. So that's that's when you do the third hour of your podcast can be the can be the can be the R rated the NC seventeen <laughs> version. Honestly, uh, as soon as I'm not pregnant, the booze will be flowing on the podcast for sure. Good. All right. So let me give Renee all of Renee's multiple uh, promos here, and then we'll let her go. And in all seriousness, Renee, I wish you nothing, you and John, nothing but the best of success with your, uh, with your upcoming baby and great health. It's going to be awesome. It's such an awesome experience to have a kid. Uh, uh, you'll never sleep again. Thank but you but so much. We're really excited. It's still an awesome <laughs> thing. Um, all right. Renee Young's <laughs> podcast is called Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette. Uh, I mean, listen to her teaser for that podcast, where she basically just gives up the whole gig about why she named it that. She's totally trying to get some free downloads, and it's a brilliant move by her when crazies go into Google. <laughs> when 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 these, when these people when these horrible, when these people late at night are going males are going into Google and they, they 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 pull that up and they're like, wait a minute, this is a podcast with CM Punk. What's going on here? But it's oral <laughs> sessions with Renee Paquette. Um, and then her cookbook comes out in May of 2021, Messy in the Kitchen, My Guide to Eating Deliciously, Hosting Fabulously, and Drinking Copiously. You can check her, Renee Paquette's uh, social media feeds. Probably they'll have an update on all of that stuff that's coming out, as well as her uh, Twitter feed, which is, uh, um, you know, has, she has her million-plus followers or whatever's going on. Renee, you're always good to do this podcast. You don't have to. It's absolutely not helping your career at all. But you are sweet enough to always come on. No, I and do you know it. what I love being able to sit down and talk with you. It's always a fun conversation, so I appreciate you having me on. You got it, Renee. Best to you and John, and uh, and uh, I can't wait to uh, when you tweet out that you had the kid. It's going to be very, very cool. So have a safe and healthy pregnancy. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love. You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. 
Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, as I said at the top, we now bring in Shalice Manza-Young. She's a sports columnist for Yahoo Sports, a former sports writer for the Boston Globe, as well as Providence Journal. If uh, you happen to be hearing this and you're a Patriots fan, you probably recognize her byline. And, um, you know, I, I was struck by Shalice's piece that she did, uh, actually at this point it'd be a little bit uh, more than a week ago, on Yahoo Sports about Aqib Tlaib, who is giving, who's giving, who's calling games for Fox Sports and is an interesting figure for them for many reasons. Um, from the position he played in the NFL cornerback, we don't have a ton of cornerbacks who have called games before, to, and this is the subject of Shalisa's uh, speech, which is really interesting. Um, and that's just like presentation that Akib Talib has and his language and his cadence. And it is different than what most NFL fans have been used to for the last 20 to 30 years. And I'm pleased to be joined by Shalise uh, Manzi Young to discuss this. Shalise, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Hey, Richard. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking the time. And Hope you and yours are healthy, and uh, let's get 2020 the hell out of here very soon, Chalice, and move on to a uh, to a better year. Um, here's what. Um, yeah, hopefully it. <laughs> yeah, here's what you wrote, and I want to take it from here. Um, you wrote, "For some of us, it's not a surprise that those who love Akib Talib on Fox's NFL games and those who hate him fall into two predictable camps. But for a not small population of fans, Talib represents the first time they've heard themselves in this space." What did you mean by that? Uh, what you mentioned, his voice and his cadence and his, you know, just his language for, for so long, you know, it, years ago it was called Ebonics derisively and, you know, academics now have come to accept and say that, you know, African-American vernacular English is the formal term for it. Um, it's a real dialect of English and it's the way that a lot of black Americans speak. Um, but we've long been mocked for it, you know? And if you listen, sometimes it's funny because it's like an economy of words, like how we intonate things or the verbs that we use and our tenses are not quote unquote proper sometimes. And that was one of the things that I saw, uh, one of the one or two people made that comment about Tlaib and that in one particular place he used took in I think instead of took or taken um and those things are obviously things that could be easily cleaned up but just just him you know he's from Dallas we remember um you know he's had a couple of brushes with the law back earlier um in his time in the NFL and things like that and he's not your typical standard NFL broadcaster he's not Tony Romo he's not uh Troy Aikman he is him. 
Um, and I think what got lost for a lot of people is they were focusing too much on the fact that his voice sounded different. It's the same thing with women, right? You know, you've written about this many times and addressed it. People are so hung up on the fact that they're hearing a woman's voice and not the fact that the woman knows what she's talking about. You know, Akib Talib knows what he's talking about. If you listen to what he's saying, he knows what he's talking about. Like, filter out the other stuff. And it's just because he's different. You know, if you look at the comments on, on Instagram, if you looked at the comments on Twitter, the avatars, you know, there are a lot of Oakleys in the avatars of the people who are being critical of him and a lot of black faces in the people who were being like, yo, man, this is awesome. You're, you're great. I hope to hear more of you and things like that. So here's here's the, sort of a question for me, um, and I wonder where you um, stand on this. Now, keep in mind, uh, you know, I am a white male um, who's been in the business for a while, and so my perspective in this case is going to be from that POV, and perhaps it is more optimistic than um, than than how you will answer this question, Chalice. So, but, and, and feel free to disagree with me because I'm sort of acknowledging I, maybe I have a blind spot. One of the things that I have at least seen in broadcasting when it comes, and you mentioned to women, is that we are in a, in a better place. Trust me, we're not when you're where we should be, but we are in a better place where, like, reflexively, there isn't the horror that Doris Burke is, is calling an NBA game or Sarah Kustak or Stephanie Reddy. No doubt there's still sexism and they're getting shit that their male co- counterparts don't get. But the very nature like that they exist or Beth Moens exists, like I feel like that at least has passed and that it, there's not this reflexive of, oh man, it's a woman calling or analyzing a game. Do you do you see any possibility that when someone like Akib Talib broadcasts and you get used to him, or you see him on your screen and you see that his dialect is different and that he speaks a different way um, than what you are used to, basically like your white cookie-cutter quarterback, um, will, will that go away? So meaning, does, does the American public in some sense have to sort of have someone like Tlaib sort of on week after week after week where they become used to it? And, may, and then the criticism just becomes about the merits as opposed to race or gender. I think it's, you know, I think it's entirely possible. Um, you don't get used to anything without practice. You know, um, there are things, you know, in, in my life, you know, that I have to really train myself to, I'm thinking specifically about language around queer um, individuals. And like my teenager has a classmate that has, um, would prefer to be called he and has changed her, you know, her dead name was Margaret and now wants to be called Marcus. And, you know, that's something I have to remind myself because even though it's been a couple of years, I remember Margaret and it's, you know, it's something that you just have to train yourself and the same thing, you know, with to leave it. And I don't think he's, I think it depends too on if you're trying to be nitpicky, you know, when I listened back to highlights that I could find from the games that Tlaib has done, I didn't really hear like one of the things that people picked on was him saying man, which he acknowledged in a podcast, his own personal podcast that he is going to try to clean up. But I didn't really hear that as much. So I think it's just because in my day-to-day life, you know, if you listen to a lot of black people who are in professional settings, they have to do what's called code switching and they need to 
present themselves a certain way and speak a certain way when they're in professional settings. And then when they're at home or with their friends or in the barbershop or whatever it is, then, you know, that's when they break out the AAVE. That's when their, you know, their verb tenses are off or their, you know, their lingo and jargon is, is different. Um, and so I think if you're not used to hearing that, you're always going to, and if you're trying to hear it, then you will hear it. But, it, you know, he'll get better. I think inevitably he probably will just over time and with reps will clean up some of the foibles. But I really hope that what makes him him is stays forever. You know, the, he wasn't in the Patriots locker room for very long, but he would say these like funny phrases. Um, and my former, uh, he still covers the Patriots, but we were technically colleagues when I did Tom Curran, you know, he still has an Aqib Tlaib quote, on his Twitter bio. And it was something Akiv said about, you know, people who focus on stats probably care more about the lyrics and the music or something. You know, he has these little turns of phrases and coming out of Jerry Jones mouth, when he talks about like knee high to a grasshopper or wet cotton or some weird things that he says, it's all, you know, there's Jerry Jones being Jerry Jones again and they're folksy and funny. And out of Aqib Tlaib's mouth, then why is, why is it different? You know, we all have these little weird phrases and, and things that we say, and people who know us know what we're trying to say. Um, but again, I think at the root of it, if you listen to what he's saying, he's offering information. You do not become an all-pro cornerback in the NFL and last as long as he did unless you know your position. And as a cornerback, you have to know a lot. Like you have to, you have to be able to see so much on the field and he has studied so much film. And in the same way that people say Tony Romo is so prescient because he can try to predict things offensively. Well, Tlaib can talk so knowledgeably about what teams are doing correctly and what they should be doing defensively. That's a great point. You know, it's interesting because like, you know, Jerry Jones will get called folksy and that's a lot of times that's just, that's the gatekeeper usually white, a white writer who's sort of, or broadcaster who's, who's saying that, and you're dead on by the way, that, you know, all, all groups uh, in some sense have their own language when they are together in, in a group. You know, I, I certainly grew up, whether it's um, if I'm around um, Spanish speaking people or even people like who spoke Hebrew or something like that, you know, if you, if they're all together in a group, they'll, they'll switch into their language. Uh, and so, there's a there's a there's a familiarity there. One of the things, like when I read your piece that I was trying to think about, because I, you know, again, I, like it was a it was a really interesting piece to me because it went beyond just sort of the broadcasting at Talib and sort of spoke something culturally. And I wonder, like, if um, you know, if if I have a blind spot here, and I think I did certainly when it came to Stuart Scott in terms of his impact on the um, how impactful he was to African American. Uh, people who wanted to go into sports growing up, just his phrases and his language. Uh, there's no way I was close to getting that. In fact, I was critical of Stuart Scott a lot of times because I thought he was just way too close to the players. But I totally missed his impact on the language, and particularly on the language for young black men and women who would hear him on television and like he was he was talking like they were talking or using phrases like they were phrasing uh, they, they were saying. I wonder, do you see if Talib continues? Like, how impactful will his authenticity be, in your opinion, 
in that he's sort of being himself, even though, yes, like you said, I think Fox will work with him to sort of clean up some of the stuff. But you know what I'm getting at, Shalise? Like, like there's that there's that expression that in talking to a lot of women in the business always tell me that like somebody has to be in front of you so that you can believe it. Like there has to be a Pam Oliver so that I, as a young African-American woman, can believe that I can be covering the NFL on TV. And I wonder if Tlaib not even realizing this, maybe he's having more impact than, than we realize. And some of the criticism to him is that like everything else culturally, when society changes, there are always going to be people who react to that. I think 100%. You know, I think he can have an impact. You know, it's it's a phrase that comes out a lot, but it really does have weight. Is representation matters. It really does. You know, when you tune in, this goes back a little bit, and I apologize if I'm getting a little far afield, but, you know, when the Colin Kaepernick thing started to happen and it was completely misconstrued what he was trying to do. And all of a sudden it's about the troops and he's insulting the troops and all this other stuff. The NFL listened to that very vocal minority of people who were hooping and hollering about disrespect, disrespect, and completely ignored the fact that a very not insignificant number of their fan base is black. 70% of the players or two-thirds, 70%, whatever it is, of the players in the league are black. A not small number of fans in the league are black. Per capita, there are more black people in the U.S. armed forces than other races. So they completely turned their back on that instead of looking and saying, this is what it is, and this man is standing up for those who look like him. And that's a little... Maybe it's a little off track, but this is this is a similar thing. You know, we look and and that whole Mike Tirico weird thing, how he does not seem to acknowledge that he's actually African-American when he very clearly looks to be African-American. He's really like the most the most prominent brown skinned NFL broadcaster. Right. And but he he is very he studied. This is what he wanted to do, like his whole life. So his cadence and the way he talks. It's very broadcaster. It's the way he was taught at Syracuse. And, and we, I went to Syracuse as well, and I loved my time there. But in my entire time at Syracuse, I never had a black, uh, you know, professor. So, or not, at least in the journalism school. So, you know, Mike is going by the voices he heard as a young man, and they all sounded a certain way. And so Mike sort of followed that path. Whereas now, and again... You have to be listenable, right? Everybody has to be listenable, no matter what. And I don't think Tlaib is not listenable. If he cleans up the man thing, then I think he's great, you know? Um, so I hope that maybe there are young black men out there who are, you know, they love the game of football. They're not going to be in the NFL someday. And maybe this now becomes a realistic path for them because they know that, okay, maybe they do have a little bit of a Southern accent and Tlaib, you know, has a Texas accent and their addiction and their grammar and everything isn't perfect, but they know the game and they understand the game and they see that he's doing it. And maybe that gives them a chance as well. And and it really is. It's something that for me personally, especially in my current position, there is not another full-time black female sports columnist in North America. And when I went to Johnny Ludden at the beginning of 2020 and asked him, could I try this? I did it in part for that 
And I, that's part of my pitch to him is I said, hey, this does not exist. I want, let's, can, you can say you have this. You can say you have the black female sports columnist. I want to do this. I also did it because my oldest daughter, who's now 18, she saw me as a Patriots beat writer and she saw the ups and downs and all that that went with it. But my younger two, they just know that mom sits in front of a computer and, you know, for four or five years, I was like regurgitating things that Schefter and Rappaport had reported for Yahoo's NFL blog and that had worn on me. So I went to, to Johnny and I said, you know, Jamel does still write for the Atlantic, but she writes about once a month. And so it seems like there can never be more than one black female sports columnist in, in North America at a time. And there wasn't. And I knew that I had a lot to say. And, and that was part of the reason why I did it is because if I can show there's so few black women in writing on the writing side of media, like we see a fair number on television, but on the writing side, there really are not that many of us. And I, among many reasons, it was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this was to put my face out there and say, look, I can do this. And so maybe it inspires somebody else to do, to say, you know, a young woman who looks like me and says, I can, you know, I can do it too, because she's doing it. Because when I was a little girl to see Robin Roberts, Roberts on Sports Center, it was, it really did mean something to me. Yeah, those, uh, those representation numbers for uh, African-American uh, female sports, I mean, uh, female sports columns, I mean, those are garbage. There's just no other way to, uh, to say it. So I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you're there. But I mean, those have to increase. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. A couple more things here. You you covered Talib when he was with the Patriots. Uh, what was he like for you as a uh, um, as beat writer uh, subject? What was that relationship like? How did you find him? I thought him okay. I was leery of him when he first got there because um, if you remember, he was traded mid season from Tampa Bay, and he had had some rocky times in Tampa Bay, and I think. You know, as there's been a lot of discussion this week about Dwayne Haskins' immaturity, I think, you know, Tlaib was immature at the time when he got there. And he got to New England, and they shuffled around the locker room and deliberately put him next to Devin McCourty, um, who even back then was a level-headed, tremendous leader. And they, you know, I think Bill Belichick knew that Devin would show him the ropes and explain to him, like, this is what we do, this is what the expectations are. And Tlaib could either, you know, fall in line and, and get it, or he wouldn't. And he did. Um, and, you know, like, he was a little weird and quirky, often had a smile on his face, which is always a great thing. He was never hostile to us that I remember. Um, so, yeah, he was, it was pretty short. I think it was only like a season and a half because he finished out that first season when he was traded then played, I think it was on like a one-year, fully guaranteed five-year contract, um, and then got, you know, his big money deal from the Broncos and went there. But he really, 
I think he really enjoyed his time there. Um, he has said that, you know, like a lot of players who passed through New England, that they learned so much about how to play the game of football from being around Belichick and being in that environment. Um, and I think that really was the case for him, too, that he was able to, to do that um, and finished out his career really well, you know, was able to get some Pro Bowls and all Pro Picks. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely had a couple of turns of phrases and, and you could tell he really liked, um, joking around with his teammates and things like that. The defensive back group has long been pretty tight, um, in New England. And, and I think he liked being in that environment too. A couple more here. Um, you know, I, I, I will say this, I, I have to give Fox credit because, um, <laughs> the irony, by the way, Fox sports taking a chance on Talib and. Uh, exactly. where, where he'd be told to shut up and dribble on Fox News. Um, but I, I find it, you know what? I give them credit, and I've talked to them uh, about Tlaib, and they like him, they're high on him, they're working with him. But it's it's interesting to me because, you know, you might not think of it, but Fox Sports is, um, I don't know how to sort of say this, Shalise, they're, they're, much, they're much less um, built on convention than you might think. And I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but I found it interesting that we're we're seeing Tlaib on Fox Sports as opposed to, let's say, seeing Tlaib on some local, regional cable network where he was, you know what I mean? Like he was a star in that market. Like Fox National has put him on NFL games uh, as essentially a rookie broadcaster, and then they're letting the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I think it's uh, a friend of mine actually noted that to me as, you know, as we were discussing um, to leave. And I think it was before I was writing and she said, she's like, you know, I give Fox credit and she's not somebody who does that really easily. Um, but she said she gives Fox credit that he is who he is, um, you know, vernacular and dialect and everything. And I'm sure he did an audition, um, obviously, but for them to put him out there and he, he he'll get better, you know, whatever little, small things that can be cleaned up. Like I said, as long as they let him at essence be him um, and he just cleans up a couple of the man and whatever little things, we all do that. Nobody speaks perfectly. Um, You know, and like I wrote, it's a low bar, but as long as he doesn't go the Chris Collinsworth route and express like, Oh my God, I'm stunned. Women in Pittsburgh understand the game of football. Like Chris, it's 2020. Where have you been? Like, come on, you know, and I don't think, Tlaib will do that, but that's, you know, that's also damning it with faint praise a little bit too. Um, let's finish up on this one. Um, you've written a lot in, during your career about women's sports. Um, I, I know you, um, you follow it. You're a fan of, of it. Like I am, uh, this is a very broad sort of, uh, you know, expansive question, but what are your thoughts right now on the coverage of women's sports or women in sports? We had to, 2021 we're in of course um a time where newspapers are dying and and folding um places even the big places like espn you know other play including my my employee athletic has laid people off you know there's less people there's far less places that are adding than subtracting and you know this a lot of times when that subtraction happens, well, you know, one of the things that doesn't exist anymore at a place is women's sports i i don't know the number on this but I mean, I, 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 would lo- I would bet that right now on my hand, one hand, 
that's the amount of full-time beat writers for a WNBA team in their respective city. I'm not saying newspapers don't cover the WNBA, but I'm talking about where a, where a, where a newspaper has literally assigned a reporter to cover that team full-time. So while there is a lot of great things about women's sports and we're seeing, you know, more games covered on ESPN and and the NWSL and hockey, but professional hockey gets more uh, massive airtime on networks. You know, at the same time, on the on the writing end, we're, we're um, we have seen places uh, cut. So where do you stand on all this? I realize I could have asked a better question, but but I'm curious, just sort of where you see sort of women's sports coverage writ large in the states right now. Well, I think look at the numbers from this year. You know, so much has been made about the NBA ratings were down and MLB ratings were down and NHL ratings were down and other sports, NASCAR and, and golf and things like that. But the WNBA ratings from the, the bubble, they were up like significantly. So, and they, ESPN showed a lot more games than they normally would. So, you know, was it a case that, well, there was something on, so people watch that? I Maybe. But, you know, again, look at the ratings for all of the sports that were down this year. The WNBA was up. So why would you not invest in these women? You know, that they're, they're strong, smart. Like every time something happens the last couple of years, right, from grab her by the P word going back a few years to any other thing that happens, we see these politicians try out, well, I have a wife and I have daughters and I can't believe that. Well, your wives and your daughters are interested in sports. Like Title IX was 50 years ago. We now have multiple generations of women who participate in sports, who are interested in sports, who dream of being athletes, you know, beyond high school and, and even college. And so they have money and they have televisions and they have phones. I mean, my 18-year-old is on her phone for literally like 10 hours a day. So if you're putting these things in their hand, because now you can watch games from your phone, let them watch it and let them dream and bring your sons along too. You know, years ago, one of the many things that I, I covered when I was in Providence was I did cover the Connecticut Sun. I covered all of their home games and some practices and things like that. I did not go on the road with them just, you know, for financial reasons and things like that. But for me, it was one of the most fun experiences of my professional life because I had never really covered women in that way before. You know, I got to cover these women who are incredible athletes. And more than that, you know, the sun, it was, um, I want to say it was like 2004, 2005 around there. They went to the finals a couple of years in a row. And so the arena at Mohegan sun is 10,000 people. And to see a 10,000, to be, you know, my age, I'm 43 now. So to see, 10,000 people on their feet screaming for women's professional athletes, I would get goosebumps because, you know, I am of the, the group of women who, you know, I did sports growing up and my father has two daughters and he a hundred percent encouraged me, you know, whatever sports I wanted to do. I ended up doing cross country, indoor track and outdoor track in high school. He literally was at every single one of my meets. He, he had a job that he, it was flexible and on a Wednesday afternoon in Barrington, Rhode Island, there he was right outside the fence to watch my track meets and was so supportive um, the whole time. And so, you know, to 
but we would only have our parents there, you know, and so to see 10,000 people supporting those women and cheering for those women and wearing the Keisha Sales jerseys and Taj McWilliam Franklin jerseys and I think Lindsay Whalen's first couple of years in the NBA, it was really incredible because I had never seen that before. And now here we are, you know, 15 years later, and there's all of these girls who have grown up and they have this real thing that they can say, I want to play in the WNBA. I want to play for the U.S. women's national team. You know, I can play hockey beyond, you know, Boston University or whatever it is. They won't make a lot of money yet, but those things are real and they're tangible and put it out there. You know, it's, you put poker on the air, like seriously, people devoted hours to watching other people play cards. Why would you not put hockey on, on television and more women's basketball and more women's sports because, and other sports like track and field and softball, they are elite athletes. And I think it's kind of like what we talked about with Tlaib. And if you hear him enough, you'll get used to it. If you just watch them as athletes for the beauty of their skill and their strength and the fact that they are elite, I think you'll just stop seeing like, ew, girl sports and just see that they're athletes. Like they're incredible. And keep putting them out there. Shalise Manza-Young is a sports columnist for Yahoo Sports and a former Boston Globe sports writer who covered the Patriots. Uh, check out her work. Um, she's always writing interesting stuff. Uh, the Talib piece that I referenced was just part of it. Uh, Shalise, uh, continued success. Um, and I hope uh, to see your byline at Yahoo Sports uh, for a very long time. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast, and have a great 2021. Thanks. You too, Richard. Happy New Year. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Renee and to Shalise for their time and insights. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, previous podcast before this one, Jimmy Traina and Jane McManus. Um, Traina and myself discussing the state of NFL broadcasting. Jane McManus talking about the, the coverage of college football this year and college football broadcasters amid COVID. Um, she had some really interesting thoughts on that and, and in a way how we're all hypocrites there. Before that, James Andrew Miller on the increasing number of ESPN departures. Before that, speaking of ESPN departures, a long conversation with Trey Wingo about why he left ESPN. Before that, Ryan Rucco of ESPN and the Yes Network and Lindsay Adler and Olivia Withright of The Athletic. Uh, go to the, the archives of the Sports Media with Richard Dutch podcast. If you like this stuff, please leave us a five-star review and a good, uh, a good um, written review, too. That stuff really helps me. Uh, to everybody out there, um, as uh, this will be the last podcast, of course, of 2020, um, it's been a shitty year. Uh, it has been a shitty year. There's no sort of other way to say it. And so um, all of us has been impacted by COVID in some way. Either you know somebody who has it um, or your life has obviously been upturned by it. So I'm wishing everybody uh, a better 2021. I do think, uh, I do think do think, I wouldn't say good news is on the horizon, but I think better news is on the horizon. The fact that modern medicine came up with a vaccine um, is truly incredible, and I do think we're going to be in a better place at, uh, at this time next year in December of 2021. I'm not so sure that masks and other things won't be part of our lifestyle, but, but I do think things will be better. 
So thank you so much for the support and thank you for listening. And I wish everybody out there uh, the best of health and, uh, and here's to a, uh, here's to a great 2021. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.